Matthew chapter 7. Sometimes uh, we start thinking about right and wrong choices that are, you know, it's this or that kind of thing. Some choices are easy and obvious, and others are more difficult. And, and sometimes right and wrong are obvious, and sometimes they actually can be difficult. Satan is subtle, and, and he can make his lie look pretty reasonable sometimes. And uh, we have to be on our guard. Uh, he masquerades as an angel of light, and nothing makes him so happy as when he deceives God's people into following what they should not follow, and sometimes even thinking they're doing the right thing. If he can fool them into making bad decisions, thinking that they are being wise or good, uh, he is good at making wrong seem right. So today we're going to look at three right and wrong choices, right? The right and wrong gates, right and wrong prophets, right and wrong disciples. And by the way, if we were to go to the next one, it would be right and wrong building foundations. <laughs> But I'm not going that far because I've, I've, I, that is the closing message that Jesus gave for the Sermon on the Mount is the, the wise and foolish builders. So I'm, I'm saving that intact. So we're going to look at those three right and wrongs or true and falses as we go through here. And first of all is the easy one. It's what Mike finally read for the scripture reading. <laughs> that was kind of fun. I wasn't going to call him on it, but man, you guys did not let him. <laughs> yeah. So enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Choose the one that is narrow, not because it is narrow, but because it is right. Right? Don't go around looking for the way that the fewest people are taking and say, I'm going to take that one because Jesus said to follow, take the narrow road, and that's the way narrowest road that you could possibly take, so it must be right. If you end up simply looking for the smallest group, you'll find yourself in some weird cult somewhere. Right? That, that's where you will be. But if you look for the way that is actually right, you'll find that not all that many people are on that trail. Uh, and and uh, you will find other people on the trail. And, and because we are where we are, uh, it, it may seem like there's, we have plenty of company going on that trail, and I, I sure hope we do. But, but the reality is most people are going to choose their path, their path in life, by convenience. This looks easy. I find myself naturally on this one. I'm going this way. I'm just going to keep going the way I am. It's easy to find. It's easy to follow. It's not very demanding. You don't have to worry too much about whether you've made the right choice because as you look around, you've got lots of company. And all these people can't be wrong. Right? That's the great American truth. The majority is right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, is, is that ever just so proven wrong that the majority is right? Uh, it, 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 but that's what happens when you're following. If, if you follow the broad path religiously, I mean, not, I mean, you, you follow the path that most people are on in religion, uh, you'll find a lot of company there. And everybody's going to feel like they're okay as they look around, and they will find themselves judging themselves by comparisons with themselves. And by comparisons with themselves, they're all going to look just fine. Okay? He says, don't choose the broad gate. And, and you don't necessarily have to choose the broad gate. You fall into it. Because you just follow along and you're taking the easy way. He says, choose the narrow gate. Not, like I said, not because it's narrow, but because it's right. Look for the way that's right, and you will find that it is narrow. 
Uh, it, it is not that broad. And an interesting thing about that, because Jesus said, I am the gate. He said that in John chapter 10. Uh, the shepherd, the, the way it works, and, and it's, it's kind of fun if you, you start looking at, uh, I talked about this website before called Expedition Bible, and it's an archaeologist looking at things, and this time he's looking at, he's not so much doing archaeology, as simply a devotional on shepherd, the good shepherd. And he shows pictures, I mean video video pictures of, of shepherds and their sheep in the Middle East. And he shows them pushing the sheep into the, into the sheepfold, uh, in some cases rock, in some you know, like piled rocks, in some cases something else. But, but then he, he has a narrow gate, and then he just kind of folds himself down, and he sits in the, in the gate like this. And that's where he sleeps. He spends the night sleeping there and like that. And nothing can get in there except through him. He is, he is both the gate as in the entrance, and he is the gate as in the protector that doesn't let something else through until it's supposed to get there. And it's a narrow gate for a reason because the shepherd is standing guard at the gate. It's not a broad gate. It's, it's, it's like a, it's like a, imagine, imagine hockey players where the goalie's there with a, a net that's no wider than he is. <laughs> Ain't nothing getting by him because he fills up the whole space. That's a narrow gate. That, that's why it's a narrow gate there because it prevents thieves and robbers from breaking in but we're going to move from one metaphor to another because it's it just it just works so well we move from the 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 metaphor of of jesus as the gate uh letting the sheep into the penfold into he is the door that you that leads you onto the narrow path and you're not in a pen but you're on a path it's a way that you walk and the road is not all that easy or all that obvious you know what I thought of as I was thinking about this is, is who here has been to Hawk Creek and hiked up to the caves up there? Right? Uh, it's not all that obvious. I was, I was there and some, I said, someone said there's caves around here. Where are the caves? I don't see any caves. And, and uh, maybe it was Bethany. I don't remember. Well, they're up there. Oh, there are caves up there. Where's the path? It's over there. So you take the path and you go along that path. And, and at this point, Judah was probably about three. And, and it's a kind of a narrow path in places, and it kind of has this drop-off in places, and Judah did not want to hold Papa's hand. And Papa said, no, you're holding my hand because this path is narrow, <laughs> and I don't want you doing that. You know, he, he would survive, <laughs> but it still wouldn't make Papa look good. Uh, it, but, but I thought about that trail. I thought about that trail. It's a narrow trail. It's uphill. It's windy. And it feels kind of long as you're going up there. I mean, I've been on obviously longer trails, but, but it feels kind of long as it's all uphill the whole way. And, but it gets you, it's, it's not about, it's not about the trail, it's about the destination. It's where you're going. You don't take that trail because it's easy. You don't take that trail because it's obvious. You take that trail because you want to get where that trail is going. Right? The road to heaven is like that, or at least the proper road to heaven, the one where you're going to please God on the way, is, is a difficult, windy, steep, uphill climb. That's, and if anybody says uh, that, that I think you're wrong, Pastor, I'm going to say you're probably on the wrong trail. Right? But if, uh, I, I, can, I, can I just, I shouldn't ask for a show of hands. <laughs> Maybe an amen. Am I right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard trail. Sometimes it's not so bad, but it's a hard trail. Jesus is the gate on the one hand. He is our protector. And on the other hand, he is the one and only way in to that trail. He is the starting point for that trail. You cannot get on the trail that leads to heaven. And it's not, I'm not turning this into a works, earn your salvation kind of thing. It's not you get on that, he lets you in, and then you're on that trail, and boy, you better look out or you're going to fall off and lose your salvation. It, it's just a, it's, it can be a difficult life to live for Christ. 
uh, and, and it's rewarding, but it can be difficult. And not many enter. Now, why is he telling this story? Why, why if I, uh, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are not many who enter through it. He is speaking to an audience of one, a whole lot of audiences of one. Right? He's not speaking this. I mean, he's speaking it to everybody. But when he says, enter through the narrow gate, he's saying, you enter through the narrow gate. And it's a whole lot of singular yous. <laughs> he's not saying all of you crowd in through the gate together. You enter personally through that gate. He is telling it to people who want to get to heaven and want to make it there. And he says, you must enter through the gate. You must enter through the narrow gate. How, how narrow is it? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man enters except by me. He's the one. He is the one and only gate. There is no other way. That's the broad gate. You want that one? Go over there. A lot of people are saying it's, it's the right gate, and they're so narrow-minded. Narrow <laughs> Works, doesn't it? To say that's the only way. And you say, yeah, it is. They say, well, I think you're wrong. In fact, the majority of people think you're wrong. Yeah, they do. Doesn't matter. He is the gate. The, the most common... Uh, I said, sorry, not many people will answer, and, and, and uh, not, I mean, not many people will enter. And it's telling you to be sure about yourself. That's why he's saying this. He's saying, you be sure about yourself. You be sure that you have entered through and go uh, to Christ. Really common answer when you ask people, ask if someone is a believer is for people to start giving you reasons why they might be a believer. How many reasons are acceptable? Because there's only one. There's only one, and that's the one you believe in. And, and if you have to... I'm thinking, not... Uh, let me rephrase this. When someone asks why about someone else if they're a believer, right? Someone says, well, is that person a Christian? Well, I think they might be. Well, why? Because they do this, because they do that, because they do another thing. And we start coming up with this list of reasons of why people might or might not be a believer. And what we find ourselves doing, and I, and I say we, and I really try hard not to do this because I, I, I'll let you know I dislike it, is because we want to think they're a believer. And because we want to think they're a believer, we start seeing things in them and say, well, I think they're a believer because they did this and this and this, and believers do that. Someone who does that is more likely to be a believer than not. And we start convincing ourselves that someone is a Christian or someone is saved. And I want to tell you, based on this verse, that's a really bad idea. Because we're looking, basing it on all sorts of things other than the one right way to do it, which is, have they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior? And if you have to stretch it, they're probably not. They're probably not. You're just making yourself feel better about not telling them. Because if you told them, then you'd have the answer. They'd either say yes or no. Or they'd say, leave me alone. If you have to stretch based on this verse, I'd say probably not. And Je but Jesus isn't talking about them. He's talking about you. Make sure you have entered and are walking on the right path. Uh, that's, that's the first one of these right and wrongs is enter through the right door and walk on the right path. And then he goes on to these true and false prophets, verses 15 through 20. 
Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So he says, beware, first of all, because false prophets are out there. You can't tell by looking at them. They're wearing sheep's clothing, right? And they don't look like a wolf wearing sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep, right? It's it's, it's not a badly done sheep outfit, you know, that a dog is running around in. Like the, you know, you, you can't picture this as a cartoon. You have to picture this as someone who effectively makes himself look like a sheep. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. You cannot tell by looking. And and I think this most effectively applies to anyone who would be in this thing we call ministry and most most especially paid ministry, right? Uh, Paid ministry where they're getting money for doing it. And for simplicity's sake, it's easiest for me to do this in the light of talking about pastors. What does a church see when it looks for a pastor? One of these days, I'm finally going to crumble into dust, (laughs) and and you will have to find a new pastor. It might be Pastor John. It might be someone else, right? If it's not Pastor John, here's what you'll do. You'll you'll uh, go get a list of pastors to to look at, and they'll come in, and they will preach a sermon, maybe two, right? Uh, They will hand you a resume showing their training, education, and achievements. They will hand you a doctrinal statement telling you what they believe. All of that is the clothing. That, that's, I'm sorry. I remember what I preached the first time I spoke at, at, at Trinity was, was on Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. I remember it because I remember Paul was teaching adult Sunday school and he was teaching on Galatians. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> you know, just, just the way it merged and dovetailed together. And, 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 uh, and, and it, was, it was not a vanilla message, I mean, but it was not a defining message either. It was a message that pretty much everybody would accept. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Any argument? Right? It's, it's, not, it's, it's true. It's important truth. But it's, it was designed to make everybody happy. And I'm, I'm not apologizing for that. That was, you know, I'm a pastor speaking at a church for the first time. At that time, I, didn't, I thought I didn't want to come here, but then I'm glad I didn't offend a bunch of people because I did want to come here, right? Uh, it, was, it was sheep's clothing. It was, it was me. Any, anybody, anybody can come in and look good for a time, right? And, and, and pastors, guess, they're, they're, they, they hand you their credentials. They're handing you a whole bunch of words. And what is a pastor's tool of, tr- tool of his trade? It's words. It's what he's good at. And he can give you the words that you want. Kind of like my first car. My first car looked really good. Don't run over it with a magnet. <laughs> it, was, it was one, it was a Bondo special, that car. It, uh, one little wreck that shouldn't have hurt the car, and it was totaled because it was just held together by paint, I think. Uh, <laughs> it looked good. Right? The, the church doesn't have, let me, 
let me tell you how, and then, and then the, the church gets references. References from the previous, you want to know how references work in a church? I learned this, um, and you know, obviously I, I have not moved here much, <laughs> but, but we were, I was at a church in Spokane, and the pastor, the church essentially ran the pastor off out of, in, in ill favor, right? Uh, it was, it, he, he tried to stay, uh, it created more bad feelings, and by the time he left, everybody was glad to see him go. He was, he was voted out, which took a large majority of the congregation to vote him out. And then he sent a request for reference to the church. And I was meeting with the board, and uh, they started talking about this reference and how they were going to write it. And I, I said, wait a minute, because they were saying these nice things about him. I said, wait a minute, didn't we run him out? Yeah, pretty much. Didn't we, didn't we run him out because we didn't like him? I mean, I, those weren't the, my exact words, but that was the message. And they were going, yeah. I said, then, then how can we write these nice glowing things on a reference? That's lying. And, and one of the men on the board who was a successful businessman and a good Christian man, he says, and he, he said, let me show, tell you how this is done. And he told me, and it just went over my head. I didn't get it, but I just kind of went, Ugh. And we wrote a nice reference for this man. And I'm going... We didn't like him. I mean, when I say we, I'm thinking as a body because he had redeeming qualities. I mean, you know, he was a Christian man. He was a, he was intelligent. He had, you know, I'm going to stop there. Uh, but he had redeeming qualities. I'm not saying he didn't, but but we as a church didn't like him. And now we're sending him a glowing reference so another church can get the man that we didn't like. And I don't like that. But that's how it works, apparently. And so, so this guy comes in, and all you ha- see is a bunch of sheep's clothing. And he has a vested interest in getting the job, because it's a job, right? And he can make some money for it. By the way, that guy, his story didn't end badly. Uh, he, he went to a church where I found out they really liked him. In fact, he, he was in Odessa for a while. And we had people that I knew that left this church to drive there. <laughs> Take that, Steve. <laughs> so I'm glad uh, he's with the Lord now. But it's, it's really hard to see beyond a sheep outside. It can be really difficult to see behind, behind, beyond that sheep uh, exterior, right? He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And some are ravenous wolves. And words are interesting because the shepherd is there for the sheep, right? The wolf is there for the sheep, right? <laughs> words are kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of, they're both there for the sheep, but there's a 180 degree difference between the two, right? Or there better be. Beware of who you listen to. Some of the best speakers are the worst offenders. And, and if you want to, if you want to entertain yourself or cause yourself to grieve at the same time, Google church fights and read about some of the things that happen in churches, some of the things that pastors do in churches uh, that are just absolutely wrong. Some of the things people say in churches that are absolutely wrong. Some of the things they teach. Okay, so ladies, do not raise your hands unless you really want to, <laughs> right? I'm curious, how many ladies here, you love your husband, you admire your husband, you're glad you have him, you wouldn't trade him for the world, 
but you think he can be a total klutz at words. Not good at that romantic stuff. Right? A lot of laughter, no hands. <laughs> okay. Would you rather have this guy that you love, admire, respect, and want to keep, but is not good with words? Or would you rather have a guy who can say all the right things that make you tingle? Right? But, but, but at the heart, he doesn't love you. He's just doing it. You know, I, I warn girls, I do this every so often because I teach teenagers. Every so often it comes out, I say, look out for the guy, the boy who knows all the right words that make you tingle. Because that boy knows those right words because why? Because he's practiced them. Because he's, he, he's, he's worked on the, getting the right words. Now, the guy who's a klutz and can't get his words out right, he's the one who really cares about you. <laughs> he, he may, he, he's coming across as a klutz, but he's, all, he's, he's, he's there. Right? Which doesn't mean if a guy can't speak, that's the one you want. But, <laughs> but there's a lot of people in the ministry for all the wrong reasons. And they're good at what they do. And they can sound good and they can present well. Beware of them. Be fruit inspectors. Right? And we tell people, we say all the time, don't be fruit inspectors. Right? Don't walk around, uh, evaluate. When we talk about, we talk about that, we say, don't be fruit inspectors. We're talking about evaluating someone's Christianity. Don't say, well, this person isn't a Christian because they don't use this Bible or they don't go to this church or they, they aren't consistent or they do this or that. Don't, don't walk around judging people's fruit. It's not our job. The prodigal son is out there. He's really saved. Uh, and it, and it it happens. Our job is not to be fruit inspector about someone's salvation, but when it comes to someone's ministry, we are to be fruit inspectors. Because Jesus says right here, really clearly, know them by their fruit. Look for the fruit, see what's there. They are the wrong kind of tree to produce good fruit. And what are their lives like? What are their priorities? What are they like when they're not up front in the limelight, in the pulpit, and, and whatever? Uh, what are they like there? Jesus says it isn't unlikely that they would bear good fruit. He says they cannot, cannot bear good fruit. What does he say? Look at this. Beware of false prophets who come to you inwardly in, or in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Cannot. Not may not or might not, but cannot. He doesn't say it's unlikely. It's, it's, he's not talking about two apple trees and one bears better apples than another bears apples. He's comparing an apple tree to a, to a thorn bush or a fig tree. He doesn't say apples, you know what I'm saying. But, or a fig tree to, to a, a, a thistle. A thistle, I don't care how much you water and how good that thistle looks, it cannot bear apples. You can, It cannot, cannot, right? You say, Steve, you don't have to say that. We understand. The question is not what they're like on stage, but when they're off, because they can sound so great up front and do so well. Do not be deceived by followers. Do not be deceived by bling. Look for the fruit. What, is, what fruit do you want to look at? Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look for those things. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the flesh. Flesh can't produce that. Flesh can fake it for a while. He says you will know them by their fruit. Watch out for true and false disciples. So first he says true and false roads. Then he says true and false disciples. And what he's doing, he's, he's wrapping these things up, these good things he's been saying. And finally, we have true and false disciples. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven 
but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, this is, this is uh, a little, little uh, you're supposed to stay on topic. I'm going to go off topic for just a second because this just was, was profound to me. Jesus says, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7, early in his ministry, I am the one that will judge you. I am the one who you have to pass by. I mean, he's already said he is the gate. He is the gatekeeper. He says, you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? He's identifying himself, right? Not St. Peter up at that gate. <laughs> it's Jesus Christ up at that gate. It is Jesus who will do it, and they will say to him, he is the judge. He is the one we have to please. He is the one we have to convince. And he, he just lets us know here, he is not an easy sell. It does not matter how well you fool people. Can you fool Jesus? If you can fool Jesus, then go ahead. Knock yourself out. But if you cannot fool Christ, then make sure you are right with him. Okay. The contrast here is between, first contrast is between those who say, Lord, Lord, and those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And, and again, you know, the prodigal son is out there. The person who lives like a pig and, or lives like the pig keeper and, and is out there and is not enjoying the father's treasures. He's wasted his life. He's out there. The prodigal son is out there. Uh, and, and it can happen that Jesus looks for people who are doing his will. If you say you believe, it should be shown in your actions. If it is not shown in your actions, then where is your belief? Uh, it, it's really hard to know. Words are important, but actions prove the words. And when you look at the deeds these people are doing, he says, he who does the will of my Father in heaven, and then he lists the deeds that they do, and he says, these, don't do, these, these are not enough. These deeds don't cut it. What are the deeds they're doing? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? You know, talk about, I talk about resumes with the pastor hands out when he wants a job. I can't put those things on my resume. My resume isn't that good. It's not that impressive. And we read your name three times in that verse. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Three times they're saying, Lord, we did this in your name. And Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. He didn't say, I forgot you. I, I kind of remember you. He says, I never knew you. He says, nope, that wasn't me. Wasn't me. You said it in my name, you did it in my name, it wasn't me. I wasn't part of that. They say, look at what we did for you, and they thought he would accept that. I think, possibly, they even deceived themselves. But in order to deceive themselves, they changed the criteria. And they were doing it in his name to please themselves. They said, but because it's in his name, it counts. But it was all about, about them. 
Jesus is the living word of God. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the, live, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing, let's see, I got it written out because I always mess this up, even penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and matter, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He sees into the very depths of us and who we are and what we do and why we do it. There is no deceiving him. There is no fooling him. And if you go out and do great things in his name, but it's all about you and your glory, you're not doing it for him. And Jesus says of these people, I never know you. And you go, how can that possibly be? And my answer is, I don't know. I don't know how someone could do things like that in Jesus' name and it would work if it was not valid. But Jesus says right here, they did these things, they say it's in his name, and he says, I never knew you. And so I don't know how that works. But I'll tell you this, it is a call for total honesty on your part between yourself and God. You cannot pretend and expect him to accept it. You can pretend a whole lot of things, right? You're at church, Sunday morning, beautiful day outside, sorry. Uh, you know why you're here, and you know who you're here for. Is it about Jesus? Or is it about something else, and Jesus is your means of getting it? Now my wife will be happy with me. Now, you know, it's important at least to have a certain amount of people seeing you at church, maybe. Uh, you may have your wife fooled. You may have your kids fooled. You may have your parents fooled, looking in the back corner. <laughs> you know, once upon a time, the youth group all sat up here. You guys make more sense to me. I never understood the kids sitting up there. Actually, I did understand. It was that one girl. <laughs> that one girl sat there, so all the guys sat there, so all the girls sat there. It was about that one girl. We need to call her back. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to say, man, I'm off track, but actually it works pretty well. Why are you here? Why were they there? Right? Uh, you can fool all sorts of people. You may even have fooled yourself that you're close enough. And that's the scary part. Remember I said Satan is subtle? Close enough. What does the word close enough mean? I, I, I'm close enough to Jesus. I'm close enough to what he asks for. I'm sure I'm okay. No, you're not. That same pastor, funny I can remember what he said, he used to have this saying. Half saved, but wholly lost. Wow. True. There's a lot of truth in that phrase. If you, are, if you are almost across the line, you're still not across the line. Your wife, who you, who you might have fooled, cannot get you into heaven. Your kids, who you may have fooled, cannot get you into heaven. Your parents, who you may have fooled, cannot get you into heaven. And certainly, vouching for yourself. But Jesus, I did great things in your name. 
And he's the doorkeeper, and he says, uh-uh. He's not going to go, you know, you really didn't, but I just hate to say no. See, that's, that's the way I'm wired, depending on what I had for breakfast and how well I slept last night, <laughs> right? But Jesus will not let you in. Only Jesus can get you in there. Only Jesus, only by trusting him and him, him alone. So there's only one kind of disciple. doesn't matter how great you've been. matters if your faith is in Jesus Christ. When it comes to pleasing God, when it comes to gaining salvation, there are a lot of right and wrongs out there. Right and wrong doors, right and wrong prophets, right and wrong disciples. Right? It can sound really complicated. It can make it sound like, man, how can I get everything lined up right enough to make this work, to be sure and to be confident? And the answer is, it's not complicated. It's really simple because there's, there's a lot of wrongs out there. There's one right. It's called Jesus. Right? He's called Jesus. He is the answer. Look to him. Listen to him. Serve him. Keep your eyes on him and you will choose rightly. Let's, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all you did for our salvation. I thank you for everyone here who has trusted you and has that gift, that true and honest gift of salvation. And Lord, if there is any here who is not right with you but has been playing a game with themselves or with you or with someone else, Father, that that, that honesty would come through, the truth would prevail, that this person would trust you as their Savior, truly and completely. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.